Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning on what's looking to be an incredibly beautiful weekend here in the Rocky Mountains. Uh, If you're not going to get outdoors part of this next few days, I mean, you don't love the outdoors. It's going to be gorgeous. But the seasons are changing, and we're going to approach it that way. We're going to talk some open water fishing. We may talk a little hunting, but mostly fishing today. We've got some other um, events going on at some parks we're going to talk about. Colorado Parks is going to expand, do some more expansion. We're going to talk about that. Changes to the reservation system this year. I want to make sure you're aware of that because it's not long before you'll be making your camping reservations for next year. We're going to talk open water fishing in both hours, but we're also going to start getting ready for ice fishing. We'll start talking about approaching. I know it's going to be 70 degrees this weekend, but trust me, we will see our first ice fishing happen around Thanksgiving. We do every year, whether it's depending on what elevation you have to go to. And not only are we going to talk about it during our regular segments, but this time of the year we run a feature called the Masters of Ice Fishing, and that's going to start today. And we take some of the most prominent ice fishermen, people who have influenced the industry, people I had the pleasure of fishing with many over many, many years, people like Dave Gentz will be on today, Mr. Ice Fishing. Steve Panaz will join us in a couple weeks. Bro Brosdahl, Greg Clausel. These are all people who revolutionized ice fishing. And we're going to not only talk about how it's changed, but what's the new products, the new techniques. So we're going to cover a lot of ice fishing, including today with Dave Gantz. So that'll be in the second hour. Also, we're gonna, I'm going to be doing a lot of personal appearances. So I want to make you aware of those. I was actually supposed to be on a remote today, but a football game bumped me back over to ESPN, which we love being here. It's our it's our home away from home. Normally, you'll hear us on 104.3 The Fan from 9 to 11. When there's a football game conflict, we come over to ESPN from 10 to noon. Uh, if you're new to this program and you like what you hear, follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We'll give you our schedule. We'll let you know where we're going to be, and we will... Uh, We'll do a lot of upcoming interviews are there, and then follow us from 9 to 11 on the fan. I am going to be doing a bunch of personal appearances. In fact, this Friday, I will be uh, at the Jack's Farm and Ranch in Fort Collins. Now, this isn't the Jack's Outdoor Gear. This is the, the Farm and Ranch, and that is located at, uh, da, da, da. I think it, well, it's on Highway 87. And it's just, I think it's 1000 Highway 87, the Farm and Ranch store, not the outdoor gear show in Fort Collins. On Sunday, I will be at Jack's Farm and Ranch, the one in downtown on 950 East Eisenhower, not the one out west. I'll be there. And these will run promos during the week, so you'll get to hear when I'm there. And possibly, we haven't 100%, I'll be broadcasting next week from the Jack's in uh, Fort Collins, the outdoor gear. And this is all sponsored by T-Mobile. So pay attention during the week and come out and say hi. I'd love to meet a bunch of you. Let's go to the phones before we run out of time here. And joining us from uh, Tightline Outdoors is Dustin Sigler. Good morning, Dustin. Good morning, Terry. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. And Karen just texted me. She follows and already corrected. I think I said Highway 285 for Jack's Farm and Ranch. It's Highway 287. She's always, you know... As being my wife and my producer, I never get anything totally right, Dustin. (laughs) (laughs) 
I know how that feels, and that's why we have them around. <laughs> uh, she keeps this program going. She keeps it online. Uh, her and uh, Michael behind the board will do more to keep me online than any talent I have. So anyway, <laughs> I, I, you're kind of going to be a microcosm of today's show because you're going to talk about the late season changing open water fishing, how we approach it, and, and then getting ready for winter. So tell us, where would you like to start? Um, you know, right now I'll just kind of follow up on uh, what we talked about uh, two weeks ago, just kind of um, our walleye bite and, and uh, the bass, deep jigging bass bite that we have going on or are soon to have going on. Um, one of the biggest things uh, that I didn't mention a couple of weeks ago, you know, was uh, jerkbait fishing and utilizing those stick baits, whether it's nighttime trolling um, or even daytime use. Uh, under cloud cover or high winds, stuff like that. Um, those are a super effective way to catch uh, not only numbers, but big fish this time of year when, when we're talking walleye in particular. And uh, it's something I've been doing the last uh, couple of weeks because that bite's really started up for me. And um, I think uh, it's overlooked and a lot of people get stuck on, on working jigging wraps and working blades, working spoons. Uh, just because they're they're in their boat, they know that these fish are you know 20 feet down, 15 feet down, and uh, they just don't think that a jerk bait is going to be able to target those fish. When in reality, they have these deep diving jerk baits, whether it's the the shadow wrap deep or uh, a perfect 10 rogue, something like that, that's going to get down to that 10, 12 foot zone. Um, and believe it or not, I and mean, these fish are looking up, they're staring at bait fish. They will come up, and um, I've seen it on my panoptics where they'll they'll come up from 20 foot of water to 10 foot to meet my rogue and then follow it for 40 feet before actually hitting it both sides. So um, it's a overlooked tactic. Uh, it's one that I, I think a lot of people need to be doing more of. And then on top of that, also right when you hit that uh, evening nighttime period, um, these fish will feed through the night, especially on Cherry Creek and Chatfield where we have a, a forage base that is just um, overwhelming. Uh, you, if you go out in those low light periods, these fish are feeding all night long. And so um, trolling much slower than you're normally uh, looking at in the summer or um, late spring. So we're keeping it, you know, one mile an hour to one and a half mile an hour, which is something you can do with just your electric trolling motor. Um, so keeping it slow, working, uh, you know, I like a scatter wrap out on my boards on the side, on planer boards off the side of the boat. And then I like a spinning rod in my hand uh, with, uh, whether it's a, a rogue or a husky jerk or any of those kind of jerk baits behind the boat so I can manually work those baits uh, to uh, entice a strike. So a couple big things there. Uh, if you're going to plan on doing any night fishing, I advise uh, probably going out before um, before it gets dark to kind of get your bearings straight so you're not uh, just uh, randomly out there trolling. You want to find structure to troll over and, and kind of have a couple paths that you can use. Uh, to do that. And of course, the more light you have, the better that is. So um, that's kind of one of the biggest things right now. And then uh, deep jigging for bass, hey, hey, you know, one of the biggest... Dustin, before, oh, ahead, before you get to the deep jigging for bass, I want to, I, I really want to bring up something on those jerk baits that really hit home with me. Um, jerk baits yeah. are great. They're great all year round baits, but they're a reaction bait. And you're going to talk about jigging in a minute. And I think the one thing we want to emphasize, whether you're using a jerk bait or a jigging bait, you're really going for a reaction strike. You're not trying to feed these with with bait like you're putting a minnow in front of them. And one technique that I found when using these deeper diving, whether it was jerk baits or crankbaits for walleyes, 
is when I'd get that deep diving bait down there, it usually would stay down there almost all the way to the boat. And if, if as I got as close to the boat as I could before it started coming up, if I paused for a minute and then just lifted my rod four or five feet, a lot of times that would trigger, like you said, they're following it, and all of a sudden it's getting away. Have you ever tried that technique? Oh, absolutely. That's I, I mean, I'm, I with the technology nowadays, with the panoptics, I literally watch that happen, and, and you have that cadence already in you know in you, and so you know what to do when you get to the boat and you, you have that uh, notion that there's something following it already, which you always have to do in working these baits, but you're absolutely right. These fish will follow it. I mean, like I said, 40, 60 feet while it's at that suspended depth of 10 foot. And right when you get to the boat, for whatever reason, when you pull that bait at an upward angle and it starts swimming at almost a different direction, right? Um, that's what's going to trigger that bite. And I've had tons of fish boat side, um, you know, eight feet below the boat, grab it right then and there. So, yeah, you're exactly right. All right. I, uh, that's uh, in springtime. That's an incredible technique, too. I love that in deep water. And uh, let's move on to the jigging now, because I do want to cover that, too, while we've got time. Yeah. Um, biggest thing right now that we're seeing, you know, we still have bass. Uh, they're kind of separating. We have some that have already moved to more of the shad uh, forage base as opposed to crayfish. Um, but what we see when water temperatures drop to a, a, a certain temperature, uh, the bass have a harder time metabolizing uh, crayfish and the shell on that. And so what they'll do is they'll actually stop feeding on crayfish in those hard, hard rocky areas, whether it's a dam or um, whatever, rocky shoals, any of that. They actually move out to deeper water, whether it's break lines or, or some humps, points, stuff like that. Um, and I'm talking deep as, uh, you know, 20 to 40 feet of water, more so emphasis on that 25 to 40 foot. And, um, you know, it's funny, we talked about jigging spoons and probably one of the most effective baits um, right now anyways would be throwing those uh, heavy lead jigging spoons or a heavy metal spoon down in those depths, um, a short pitch out or even a cast out on those brake lines or, or hard bottom transitions and then just working them back to the boat, and you'd be shocked at how many bass are actually coming on that uh, technique. And uh, just the other day I was out at Chatfield and, and marked a pot of fish. Uh, I was fishing for walleye, but um, they were in about 21 foot of water, pitched my spoon out to them, instantly got bit. It was a smallmouth bass, and I, I think we beat that spot up for about 15, 18 bass um, on that same presentation, and it's something that gets overlooked. Um, when you when you move into this time period i think it uh it just shows you that the key to most fishing if you really get down to it is forage 90 percent of the time forage other than when they're spawning forage and obviously comfort like oxygen and temperature affect them but forage is almost always the key and once those bass transition to that other forage so do crappies so do white bass so do wipers so you're all of a sudden there's just this plethora of species of fish, whether you're walleye fishing or bass fishing, that become available all in one area with virtually the same presentation. Yep, it's uh, a one lure fits all kind of deal, um, which is rare in, in most cases. But uh, uh, right now, that is exactly what's happening, and we're going to see it just continue to transition over to that, to where you're going to catch multiple species um, on one presentation, just because they're so honed in on that different forage base. No, you're absolutely, absolutely right. Before we move on to anything else, 
how long are most of the boat ramps you're fishing open? You've only really got about two, three weeks of this fishing left, right? Unless you go down to Pueblo. Yeah, exactly. The the end of November is when boating closes. So December 1st, you can't put your boat on any of these bodies of water, uh, except, uh, of course, Pueblo, or if you move out of state to like uh, Lake McConaughey or something like that, um, you can get out there. But uh, for the most part, yeah, they're they're closed the end of this month. And so uh, the get it while the getting's good. <laughs> well, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Um, we are starting our Masters of Ice Fishing series. Uh, Dave Gentz, the Mr. Ice Fishing himself, is going to join us in the second hour. We've got a minute or two left. Um, uh, we probably don't, but I'm going to steal it from the next segment. Um, <laughs> when you're out right now, are you scouting for ice fishing, and what are you doing to get ready? Yeah, absolutely. So the biggest thing uh, with ice fishing as it's approaching, um, you got to take your boat out, whether it's to fish or, or to find locations. The biggest thing is spot on the spot when it comes to ice fishing. I'd rather drive my boat around all day uh, the day before boating closes and mark a whole bunch of uh, really spot on the spot locations before um, I get ice on that body of water. Because the last thing I want to do is go out to a lake that's froze over and drill a thousand holes trying to find that spot. So uh, that is probably the biggest key right now. Um, and then, of course, testing your equipment before you get out on the body of water uh, to start ice fishing. Make sure you run it all at your house, at home, before you head out so that you have a successful day on the water. All right, my friend. I'm sorry we were a little short today. I got long-winded, but if people want more information, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, uh, check us out on Facebook, um, tightlineoutdoors.com. And then uh, also just want to mention real quick, ice addiction, ice addiction tickets go on sale this upcoming Monday morning at 8 a.m. So I uh, just wanted to get that out for you guys. But either way, Facebook, tightlineoutdoors.com, those two, uh, you can find us. I appreciate it, Terry. All right. Thank you so much. Always a great segment, Dustin. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. You have a great day. You bet. Dustin Ziegler from Tightline Outdoors. By the way, what he talked about at the spot on the spot, if you go to my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, and go to a Dowdy, there's two Dowdy Lake ice fishing shows on there. One we approached real basically, one we approached with a lot of electronics. The one where I used the electronics, I actually took waypoints I'd marked on my boat, was able to go right to them and catch those fish. Great demonstration of that. Go take a look at it. Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. We're going to take a time out. We come back. Colorado Parks is going to join us and tell us about an expansion they're doing on the Western Slope on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 1600 ESPN. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1600 ESPN. Normally, we're over on 104.3 The Fan. And by the way, if you like this program, not only can you catch us from 9 to 11 on The Fan most weekends and then over here on 1600 The Others, but we're always podcast on 104.3thefan.com on my page, Terry Wickstrom. You can go re-listen to uh, any of the interviews if you want to. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife out on the West Slope is Ashley Wallace. Good morning, Ashley. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing great. It's going to be a gorgeous weekend here on the Front Range. What's it looking over like in Grand Junction area? It's actually beautiful out here this morning as well. We have a little bit of cloud cover, but the temperature outside is perfect to be outside. 
Oh, and you know what? People are going outside year-round anymore. I mean, we saw this, I don't know if you can say influx of people to the outdoors, but we saw people go back to the outdoors or start using the outdoors again more. So we really have a lot of use and a lot of people out there, and they're doing it year-round, even before COVID. I really saw winter outdoor activities like camping, fishing, hiking, just taking off and really getting better. But all this extra pressure, all this extra use is stretched the resources so Parks and Wildlife is doing a lot to expand those resources. And you have an exciting announcement from Highline State Park. But before we get to that, why don't you tell people where Highline Park is located and describe the park? Sure thing. So we are located about 20 to 25 minutes west of Grand Junction. Um, So we're about 12 miles miles from the Utah border. Um, We have a beautiful park here. We have two lakes. Um, Highline Lake is our big lake, which is our namesake, and it's 160 surface acres. And then we have a smaller lake called Mac Mesa, um, which is about 24 to 26 surface acres. Um, But we're really popular with anglers, boaters, campers, um, mountain biking. Um, And like you said, we see a lot of winter use because we have such a mild climate. So we don't have too much snow. Um, There's always an opportunity to get outside here. It really is. Now, let's talk about now the lakes right now, your lakes are closed to boating. Is that right? Yes. Highline Lake closes annually um, from October 1st to the end of February. Uh, We have a special designation with the Audubon Society. We're an important bird area. So we actually have an annual closure for those migratory birds. But that doesn't mean there isn't still great fishing from shore. Now, during the year, people need to tuck this away for next spring. But you have some great warm water fishing there, don't you? We do, especially um, we have we have good ice fishing as well. But when spring hits um, in March, when we reopen to boating, um, the bass, the trout, uh, crappie, bluegill, sunfish, catfish, um, we have quite quite a few um, fish species here. And the basket pretty large there. They do, yeah. We actually have a special regulation here um, to protect those larger fish, and so we um, we only allow folks to keep two largemouth bass, and they have to be at least fifteen inches. Um, uh, but it's not uncommon to see bass coming out three, four, even five pounds. Now you mentioned ice fishing, and I'm going to be starting to cover a lot of ice fishing. Before we even get to the species, about what time of the year do you typically ice up there? Um, that it it depends on the weather, but usually January is pretty good, at least along the shoreline. Um, Highland Lake typically doesn't freeze over completely. There's a small section in the center that stays open water because of our geese, um, but fishing along the dam is is pretty good. Last year we had between eight and twelve inches, just depending on the time of year, and so we'll have ice for typically January. And quite a bit of February, and then in March, um, depending on the year, we'll either be open to boating March 1st, or it could be mid-March. Now, So we have yeah, a short ice fishing season, but it's good. <laughs> well, you have a lot. And I was just going to say, two of the species you have there are two of a lot of ice anglers' favorite species, and that's crappie and trout. And I'll bet you, I, mm-hmm. you catch a lot of crappie there, don't you? We do, especially in Highline Lake. Along the dam, we, uh, we have some crappie structures along the dam there, and so... When we do have enough ice for ice fishing, that's where we find most of our anglers. Now, you also have a great trail system, I believe. Is that right? We do. We have nine miles of trail in the park for hikers and bikers and um, some good wildlife watching opportunities as well. And camping is open year-round. It is, yeah. 
And now the exciting news. We talked about resources and parks being used. You guys just have an exciting announcement. What is that? We do. In September, the park closed on the purchase of 170 acres that border Highline Lake along our west um, park boundary. Um, So we have plans of expansion for the park to really help with some of the capacity issues that we were facing. Um, So with that 178 acres, um, we are going to be adding a full hookup or electric campground. Um, We're going to have a nice new decontamination station for our boating community. Um, We're looking at um, additional swim beach opportunities, group picnic areas, um, trails and yurts. And then there's also a section that is a really great habitat area for wildlife. And so we're looking at possibly doing some reintroduction of grouse, um, quail, possibly pheasant, things that used to be here, but as town expanded, have moved out of the area. That sounds fantastic. Anytime we can add resources people can take advantage of. Are are you are the plans all made? Are you in a planning stage? What's the status? So right now we are still in the planning phase. Um, we didn't close on the property until September. Um, so we have, you know, obviously our um, we need to look at the resources and kind of plan where everything needs to be. And so we're in planning phases right now. Um, we've gone in. Um, as a park staff and started to remove some of the invasive trees that were present on the property um, to get some of that stuff ready. Um, But there's definitely an option for public input if anyone has recommendations or things that they would like to see. Um, Unfortunately, we cannot make the lake any bigger, so (laughs) that's not an option. But as far as development goes, um, you know, our parks rarely have this opportunity to expand like this, and so it's a really exciting opportunity that we are very grateful for. And when do you expect the actual breaking of ground on the expansion? So as everything sits now, there could be some um, additional parking available um, come this spring. Um, There's at least a three-month planning process to make sure that we understand what resources are down there. And then there is talk that we could start um, uh, construction on a new entrance road on our west side, which would have additional parking so as we hit our busy summer season, there's more places for folks to go. Now, will people be able to watch the progress on either your Facebook or your webpage? Most likely, yes. Um, we try to keep all, both of those up to date. Um, you know, we really want this to be a park that our future generations can enjoy. And so we want that public input. We want to keep our community informed of what we're doing. Because um, like I said, this is such a rare opportunity for us that, you know, we certainly don't just want to come in and do stuff. We want, you know, public feedback and to really make this a place for, you know, our grandkids to enjoy. I couldn't uh, agree with that sentiment anymore. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us. It's exciting to know, you know, we just talked a week or two ago about a project for a new state park that's uh, with the Forest Service, I believe, and now this expansion. Mm-hmm. And I also know, but I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about some facilities that are being bought by the state that have outdoor recreation that are going to be open to the public. There's just a lot going on. It's great to live in a state that cares so much about our outdoor recreation. Absolutely. And the outdoors have something for everybody. So that, I think that's why people just love being outside so much. All right. There's so Ash- much to do. Ashley, thank you so much. Thank you, Terry. You, you bet. Ashley Wallace from Highline State Park. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to continue talking to state parks. There's been some changes 
in the reservation system. We want to make sure you get the dates you want when you decide to go camping. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear. By the way, I'll be appearing at several Jack's locations, both their outdoor gear and their farm and ranch stores. In fact, two or three times next weekend, I think Friday and Sunday for sure, and possibly doing a live show on Saturday. I'll have Karen put the times and the dates up on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. You can follow that. Please come by and say hi. I'd love to talk to you, talk a little outdoors. I'll hang around for a little while after the show. And then, of course, during the non-broadcast, I'll be there just to talk, hunting, fishing, and visit with our fans. So we're really looking forward to you coming out. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife, Wildlife is Devin Adams. Good morning, Devin. Good morning, Terry. How are you? It's a, it's a beautiful day to be out, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. It's so gorgeous. I'm I'm very lucky. I live in the foothills, and so got to spend some time out, out this morning with my dogs. It was just wonderful. You know, we're seeing, we've seen so many people return or turn to the outdoors, and it's just great to see them out there. We want to continue that, um, but we have to manage those people, and as they come in and out of the parks, and camping has been one thing. A couple of years ago, maybe it's a little more than that, Parks and Wildlife went to a new reservation system. And it's actually worked out pretty well. But there's been a couple little tiny tweaks you want to do to it. But let's start out by, let's talk about what the reservation system is right now. Absolutely. Um, so in 2018, we combined our old licensing system and our reservation system into a single unit um, that we call iPods, and you can get to it um, at cpwshop.com. It's a really one-stop shop. We even do our OHB and boat registrations there. Um, It's really a great site. Um, And then about a year after we made that transition, um, we took some pilot parks, six parks, and changed them from uh, restricting reservations within three days of arrival to being open to reservations all the way until you were standing in the site, you could make a reservation. Um, That was very successful. Um, As we've seen behavior change uh, over the last about 10 years in when people make reservations and when they make plans, we really wanted to accommodate uh, that customer behavior. And so we moved out that change to be statewide. So now you can actually make reservations all up until you arrive in your site. We don't do what we used to call walk-in anymore, where you would walk in and fill out a paper slip and put it in a little box. And if no one was in that campsite, you could take it. Now, if there isn't someone in the campsite, you can go online or or call our vendor and um, find out if somebody has that site reserved and if not you can reserve it and um, it's a lot smoother we know who's coming and going you know if there are sites available it's it's a lot better and i believe almost all the campsites in parks and wildlife uh, are under that reservation system right so it's true this is true for virtually all camping and state parks now yep it's actually true for for all of our our camping as well as most of our group picnic areas and cabins and yurts now, it's, you know, I think people are just finally realizing, okay, I can still drive up there, and if there's a site, I can still get it, but I have to reserve it before I can move into it. The one caveat with that was, and we've tried to tell people as this transition was going on, don't drive up to a place 
where there might not be any phone service because you might not be able to do it. So you kind of have to be aware of that, right? Absolutely. Uh, one of the, A good example of that is Sylvan Lake State Park, which is one of my favorite parks. Um, I mean, I have 43 favorite parks, but, you know, it's still one of my favorites. One of mine, too. Um, <laughs> it, it's about five miles from the visitor center where there's coverage to the campground, where there is absolutely no cell coverage, which is part of what makes it so magical. Um, so I always recommend if you're going up to Sylvan, go ahead and check that reservation um, list beforehand. And if there's an available site, just make the reservation then, and then you're all set and you don't have to drive back down to the visitor center. Now, like any system, and you said it's been a great success, people are adapting to it. I think they really like it, and everybody's got such communication abilities now that it really has made things easier for people. They really, really enjoy it. Now, you got you can make reservations up to, I believe, six months in advance, but because of all the different quirks of the system, no matter how good it is, always a new system needs some tweaks, and you're going to tell us about that now. Absolutely. So we have had um, fairly similar cancellation and change policies um, since before the new system came on. Um, We did make a couple of tweaks to it a few years ago where we had the $6 cancellation fee that we added on to the um, if you cancel within two weeks, you were charged your first night stay as well as the $6 cancellation fee. Well, what we were finding is that people at a one-night stay and canceled within that time frame, we were actually charging them more than if they had stayed with us, which is not fair and weird. And so um, that's just one of the things we decided we wanted to address with some changes to our cancellation and change fees. We also discovered that our group picnic areas and our overnight facilities had very different cancellation policies that were really confusing, not just for customers, but also for staff. So we've actually incorporated all of our park facilities, um, day and night use, under one uh, one policy, which makes life a lot easier for everybody, including um, the system. <laughs> so what we've done is we've changed it so that we're adapting again to that customer behavior of kind of waiting a little more last minute to make reservations. So instead of penalizing one night stay um, within... 14 days of cancellation. Now it's within seven days. So we've reduced that. We also completely got rid of our um, our cancellation fee, the $6. That's completely gone. And part of the reason we did that was, again, we felt it was a little punitive. But also uh, we really wanted to do a sliding scale to encourage people to cancel or change sooner. So within a week of arrival, it's 100% of one night or day. Eight to 28 days, it's 50% of one night or day. And then if it's more 29 or more days, it's 25% of one night or day. And we also made some pretty major changes to when um, people modify their reservations. You can modify your reservation in a number of ways. Change dates, extend your stay, shorten your stay, move sites, move parks. Um, so there's a lot you can do there. And we were discovering that charging $6 for each change didn't really... Um, make a lot of sense. It wasn't encouraging people to make those changes sooner because what we really want to make sure is that, especially in those busy weekends, that everyone has the opportunity to stay in our parks. And what was happening is people waiting until the last second to cancel or change meant that we had some empty sites. And that just, that felt wrong to us. We wanted people to have that opportunity. So 
what we did is we actually removed any sort of change fees for almost any change except for if you're changing dates or if you're shortening your stay. And for that, um, it's the same scale, um, just with different numbers. So within a week, it's 20% of one night or day. Um, for a week out to a month, it's 15% of one night or day. And then over a month, it's 10% of one night or day. We just really wanted to make sure we were encouraging people Again, to make those changes, make those, make those cancellations sooner rather than later to give everyone the best opportunity to enjoy our parks. Devin, we're out of time, but if people want to go and review the regulations and the changes, what's the best way to do that? Go ahead and go to uh, our website, so cbw.state.co.us, and if you look up reservations, you're going to actually find um, we have a nice FAQ sheet up there that has all of this spelled out, all of the changes, as well as why we made these changes. Because yep. we really want to be transparent in, in why we made these decisions. Well, I think they all sound like really good changes, to tell you the truth. And like any system, they re- require tweaks at time, especially with the usage we've gotten over the last couple of years. So it's good you guys are staying on top of it. We want to make as much of this available to as many people as possible. So thank you for coming on and sharing that with us today. No problem, Terry. Thank you for having me. You bet. Devin Adams from uh, Parks and Wildlife. Thank you again. Uh, we're going to take a time out, and we're going to start talking a bunch of fishing. Austin Parr is going to join us. And then we're going to have Mr. Ice Fishing, Dave Gentz, and then Ronnie Castiglione is going to join us also. And we're all going to talk, a couple we're going to talk open water with maybe getting ready for ice, but then we're really going to dive into ice fishing with Dave Gentz, Mr. Ice Fishing, very good friend of mine, pioneer of modern-day ice fishing, uh, just a master of it. So we've got all that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan, usually, but today on 1600 ESPN. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, broadcasting today on 1600 ESPN. Uh, normally, we will be on uh, 104.3 The Fan from 9 to 11, but every now and then a football game Bumps us over to our sister station. If you like what you hear, join us every Saturday from 9 to 11 on The Fan. Or we podcast everything. You can go to 1043thefan.com and you can find podcasts of every segment going back months. You can also follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We post a lot of links to our interviews there. Just a lot of information on that Facebook page. Let's go to the phones. And joining us, he's a frequent contributor. He's a very accomplished angler. He's a guide. Austin Parr, good morning. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. Always always our pleasure, Austin. You always bring such great information. You know, I've been talking about open water versus ice fishing. We're in this transition phase. You know, we only have, at most lakes, except for maybe Pueblo, we only have a couple weeks left of boating. But there's going to be a lot of shore fishing, too, before we really get into ice fishing. But that being said, ice fishing is just around the corner. So why don't you kind of take us through what's going on now and what we're going to see happen? Yeah, we still have quite a few opportunities on the front range as far as boating is concerned. Uh, Chatfield and Cherry Creek with some of these cooler water, uh, cooler conditions as far as air temp has dropped the water temp some. And we are starting to see some of these fish get into the, the deeper water areas, particularly when you're talking about Chatfield. Out in front of the tower, there's some big deep humps out there. And, and we've been seeing a lot healthier fish than we've seen in years past with this additional 
shad population that we've seen on several shad hatches this year. So the fish have been nice and healthy. But out there deeper, uh, the jigging wrap and blade bait and jigging spoon style techniques have been the best for the walleyes. Trying to get them to react uh, has been key. Now, the fish have been a bit scattered. They're starting to get a little bit tighter. But the thing, if you're looking for the walleyes, is to be moving around until you're finding uh, a little pot of fish and then fishing those, but continually being on the move. Because when those fish are chasing those bait fish, they're not really heavily set up on a spot like you'd find in May, June, or July. Now, Cherry Creek's kind of the same thing, but the challenge out there is that there's not a lot of deep water structure. Uh, The deepest in that lake really is only about 25 feet. So those fish are a lot more spread out. They don't concentrate quite as much later in the season. And a lot of times I just fish on the deeper drops adjacent to the main basin area and hope for fish to be moving moving by. So a little bit less sonar use than you're used to out there at Cherry Creek, uh, but finding those edges and fishing with those same jigging wraps and blade baits can be good. Typically, I find that the non-vibrating type baits like your jigging wrap and your spoon do better at Chatfield with a little bit more clear water. And the blade baits have a tendency to do slightly better at Cherry Creek with uh, either one potentially working on any given day. I have a quick question. We haven't covered it in a while, but, you know, Chatfield is going through this expansion. They filled it pretty heavily this summer. Had The water was up, I think, about 11 feet. I'm not sure. What's the status of the water level at Chatfield right now? So right now, I would be calling it four feet low from historic full pool. So it's down to what you would normally be finding in the fall. But this spring, as you mentioned, it was quite high all the way up into your trees. And a lot of that uh, new age, kind of the new lake type situation is what it felt like for a while. And it gave uh, very fertile conditions for those bait fish to be spawning. And there's three distinctive year classes of shad out there right now. There's some really tiny ones still all the way up through some, some shad that are four plus inches long already. Now, So do, it's creating kind of a dynamic situation. Do we expect them to try to refill it and keep the water level higher? From my understanding, it is going to be on a, uh, basically, uh, as the water is available, they will be raising it. But the thought process is more of something like you'd be finding on the Eastern Plains lakes, where it will come up and be high in the summertime and, and spring months, and then be drawn down as the water is needed in the fall. You know, that's going to throw a wrench in the next couple of years to a lot of people who are used to Chatfield and Cherry Creek almost fished more like natural lakes and reservoirs, and now Chatfield's going to fish like a true reservoir. Absolutely, and and obviously we're a number of months away, but if you have the water to fill up again, those fish get up into those trees, and you have to definitely think about it differently. The conventional roadbed and gravel pit areas are not nearly as productive in that summertime period due to the fact that they're sitting in nearly 30 feet of water. Well, you're absolutely right. Let's let's talk about some other fishing. Is there still boating in the mountains? What's going on fishing-wise at elevation? So as far as boating is concerned, Granby really is kind of one of the few options besides North Park where there's not boat inspections. Uh, Lake John has the docks out now, but the ramps are still open if you want to go drop your boat on up there. Um, from what I've been hearing of local reports, nearly everything uh, is frozen in North Park besides the bigger water like Lake John and Delaney Buttes. Uh, The areas like Lower Lake John have have a cap on them. A lot of the streams have had a cap on them as well up there with the lower water conditions. So it's one of those times where it's just right before the ice comes on right now, and, and that obviously can lead to 
very good fishing there. Now, South Park boating is all shut down for the season, from my understanding. Um, but with that being said, you still have some great shore fishing opportunities. I just got some reports uh, of some fly fishermen doing quite well on the shoreline of Antero with some egg flies under indicators and a little bit of a chop. Uh, they said the browns were really uh, along that shoreline pretty heavily, and a few brook trout were actually mixed in as well. So that's always a, a nice thing to get some of those fish there. But then up on Granby, along the dike edges, the brown trout have been doing quite well on those. Uh, a lot of anglers have been having good success throwing suspending jerk baits as well as bigger streamer patterns. And along with those type of presentations with the browns, a lot of lake trout have been jumping on as well, and some guys have been having success uh, with the standard tube jig and sucker meat type techniques. And those, those presentations this time of the year because of the water cooling can be almost as effective from shore as a boat. Yeah, the fish are up really shallow. Those, those lake trout are spawning and the brown trout are spawning. And when you're fishing uh, a rock face like that, I almost prefer to be on the shoreline. That jerk bait will work down and then be closer to the bottom as it gets closer to the shoreline. And a lot of times you're catching those fish in just a few feet of water. Now, eventually we're going to see trout shore fishing take off in the front range. And I want to spend a little time on that. But before we do that, you mentioned some fly fishing. I think you were out in locally fly fishing with some success lately. Yeah, Waterton Canyon was had some, some low water conditions, but in general the fishing was was quite productive. Uh, there was a small bluing olive hatch that was coming off, and we had some dry fly activity, although that was a bit suppressed with some of the wind we were experiencing, but still got some fish to come up. Small midge patterns like a poison tongue were also successful, as well as an egg. Uh, but as usual in that canyon, if you can get up above the Marston Diversion, whether it be on a bike or hiking, that will always prove to be uh, more successful. There's a lot more high-quality holes up there, um, as well as more consistent conditions throughout the entire year as far as water temperature coming out of the bottom of Strontia Springs. So it is a, a really nice fishery uh, that's close to town. Uh, it's all hiking or, or pedal biking, no e-bikes or anything, and there's no dogs allowed due to the bighorn sheep population up there. But it provides a nice close-to-home location for year-round fly fishing. Now, one species on the front range that I consider almost seasonal are the trout because our water warms yes. on the front range and they tend to go deep. You don't catch a lot of them. People quit thinking about them. The water cools in the winter and the spring. We catch them ice fishing. They're heavily stocked. We catch them in the spring. But we're getting into another time. Then that's fall. When the even though the boating is ending, there's going to be tremendous shore opportunities for trout and in two types of fishing. There's going to be large holdover trout on these front front range lakes that have been eating shad and are getting to be five to ten pounds. Then there's going to be a lot of stocking going on, so there's going to be a lot of action for these eight to twelve inch fish. The people that just want to go catch some, we should really be getting into the meat of that, right? Absolutely, and especially on lakes like you mentioned with holdover fish that have good depth, like Aurora and Chatfield. Both of those fisheries hold some really respectable sized trout up to some actually really nice ones and one thing about some of your stock trout is they'll at times have a tendency to attempt to spawn in the fall even though the majority of rainbows will spawn in the spring and places like aurora with the water drawn down a little bit uh, have those trout get up along those gravel edges and they'll they'll be swimming around in in schools of 10 to 20 fish and you can pick them off on a variety of techniques uh we've talked about it before with the the bait technique, adding some extra scent with some power bait cast out there on one rod, throwing a lure on the other. But fly fishing can be remarkably effective as well, uh, whether it be 
underneath the strike indicator with some egg flies or one of my favorites with a small a light sink tip and a woolly bugger or, or a bar slump buster or something of the sort and then trailing a, a soft hackle nymph down below you can have fantastic success on a variety of species but as you mentioned with the stock trout there's a great opportunity to catch a lot of fish. Uh, they'll stop the North Point ramp of Chatfield here likely one more time before the ice comes on, and that can be a great place to take kids and throw lures or throw bait and, and get really a good number of fish. And then other lakes like Centennial Lake will be getting some trout here soon, and that's a smaller local body of water, but uh, the trout will be there. And places like St. Brain, if you're up north too, offer great opportunities for a good number of fish. You're, you're exactly right. This is a great time to take kids out, and they'll catch some fish. And, you know, the best thing to do is go to the uh, Parks and Wildlife page and watch the stocking report. They they put it out there. They want you to catch these fish. Go within a couple weeks of a lake being stocked, and those fish will be active and close to shore. In fact, Karen posts the fishing report on uh, our our uh, Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, whenever it comes out, I think they're actually dropping back to about three weeks now when they have put it out this winter. But attached to that fishing report, there's always a stocking report. So you can go back to an earlier post of the fishing report, and that link will take you right to it. And you can click on the stocking report, and it will let you know you know, where those fish have been stocked in, and they want you to go catch them and take some home. So it's just a tremendous opportunity. We'll talk more about it as it really heats up. But last question for you. We don't have too much time left. Ice fishing's coming. You're in the tackle business. What's the supply chain look like? It's as you hear on the news right now. Uh, It's very challenging. Uh, Companies like Eskimo and Ion aren't shipping the majority of the products until it sounds like January at the moment. Uh, a lot of rods have been really delayed, particularly on companies like St. Croix and Clam. Uh, but we've got stuff, uh, as a lot of people do, and, and it's just a matter of kind of adapting. But if you are looking for something specific, particularly if it involves an auger on the electric version or gas, for that matter, or shelter, it is time to be thinking about that right now because the supply is very limited, especially with companies like Eskimo, really delayed. Yeah, it's, it's not going to be easy. Now, I'm hearing that there's stuff here. But if you're really looking for gear to upgrade or start ice fishing, you should probably shop early. That's what I'd be looking at for sure. And like I said, especially if it's something specific. If you're looking for just, say, a 30, 32-inch medium rod and you don't care the brand, it might not be as much of a concern. But if you want something very specific, especially if it involves the reel too, reels have been really tough, uh, think about it now. And then what we're hearing is a lot of these factories are not producing much right now. Same kind of thought process for spring. If you're looking for something specific, look at it now. All right. If people want more information or they want to stop by and talk to you or even book a guide trip, how do they find you? I'm a discount fishing tackle. We're six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa All right, my friend, you and I, we need to ice fish this year. Let's do it. Let's plan on it. All right. Sounds like a great outing to me. Thank you. Thank you so much, Terry. You bet. Austin Parr, always a great resource. Speaking of great resources, we're going to take a really quick time out. We come back. Mr. Ice Fishing himself is going to join us. Dave Gantz right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 1600 ESPN.